of the book of Jonah. Uh, while you're turning there, I, I hope you're off to a good day as Father's Day. Uh, I've heard from two of my boys. The one on the West Coast don't get up early anyhow, so it sure as the world I haven't gone here for him, but I'll catch him maybe after church. But it's good to to be surrounded with you today. It's a special time in, in my life to be here with you. One of the things I like to do during the summertime is to take a, a little book of the Bible, usually one of the shorter ones, and do an in-depth study over a period of weeks. And so we're going to move into the book of Jonah, and I think you'll enjoy that. This is a short little book, uh, four chapters long. Uh, you can read it in a matter of minutes, but let me caution you, don't, don't get in too big a hurry. Uh, reading this little jewel of the Lord. There, there is so much great stuff here. So take your time as you read through it, and you're going to be greatly blessed because you do. There are, are four truths, one taught in each chapter. And the thing that's so wonderful about Jonah that I love, it speaks to the heart of the veteran believer. So if you've been a believer for weeks or months or years or decades, it'll speak to you. But it also speaks to the person who's, who's searching who hasn't really made up their mind about God or about Christ or whatever, and it speaks to them just as well. And we're going to have a really good time as we look into this. Now, as we, as we look at, at Jonah, a couple of things about that. We need to understand that Jonah was a reluctant prophet. He was not a prophet by occupation. He was a prophet by calling. And God called him to something to do that he did not want to do. It went against every fiber of his being to do what God had called him to do. And so you have the struggle in Jonah's life. It's almost like a love-hate relationship with God. Trying to hammer out, you know, how do I survive with God's calling on my life, and yet it's something I don't want to do. Now let me just pause and say that'll cover many of us here today. Whether you're just searching to try to find out who God is and what all this is about, whether you've been walking with him for many, many years, this is something that hits straight home for us. So, let's begin reading. We'll read it at verse 1. We're just going to kind of go verse by verse today. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of God. The word of God which caused creation to be. God spoke, and it happened. God spoke, and life came to be. He breathed, and stars began to shine. The Word of God is also the name of the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. John would say, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the eternal Word of God, the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, but this is before He was incarnated, God Himself, in His Word, came to Jonah. The Word came to Jonah. Now, now this is it's an interesting concept to grasp right here too. That the God of heaven and earth, the Creator condescended, knelt down, inclined himself to come get face to face with the man that he had chosen to do a very unpleasant task. The Word of God came to Jonah. 
in, in other places, this word came is translated a little differently. In the book of Jeremiah, specifically, it says that the word of God happened to Jonah. It happened. Every time you pick up your Bible, every time you enter into a few moments alone and quiet with God, there's a happening about to take place. Because the word of God happens to us. It is an experience. And the word of God comes to us. So the word of God came to Jonah. And look there what it says. Arise and go. Now stop there for just a moment. Arise and go. This is the big difference between Jonah and every other prophet in your Bible. Every other prophet you receive, the word of God comes to them. The word of God happens to them. But in each and every other one of those situations, God says, arise and speak. And he puts his, his word in their, in their minds, in their mouth, in his heart. Arise and speak. That's not what he says to Jonah. To Jonah, it's very different. He says, arise and go. You see, Jonah was to be a missionary prophet. He was to take the word of God someplace it had never been before. Now, the farthest any of the other uh, prophets had to go was from Israel to Judah or Judah to Israel. I mean, they were, you know, they were neighbors. They were part of one country at, the same, at one time. But here... God tells Jonah, I want you to get up and go. And, and this is a foreign place he's going to. Arise and go, he says. Arise and go to Nineveh. Nineveh, that doesn't mean just a whole lot uh, to you and I. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians were the vilest cruelest, most brutal, barbaric culture in existence at that time. Assyria had already overrun Israel and destroyed ten and a half tribes of the twelve tribes of Israel, decimated it. And those that were left in leadership or they were educated or uh, they were the business people, they'd taken away, they, they, they drug them off. Israel had been decimated, destroyed, devastated because of Assyria. Arise and go to Nineveh. This, this place was so deeply hated by the Israelites. It was, we know nothing today of racial hatred like Jonah was going through. Let me say that again. We know nothing of racial hatred today like Jonah was going to. God was telling Jonah, go to the most hated, despised enemy in history. Go to them. Everything inside of Jonah wanted to throw up because God was calling him to do something that was against every fiber of his being. The prophet Nahum would write these words. Listen, Nahum chapter 3. Woe to the bloody city. That's Nineveh. It is full of lies and robbery. Its victim never departs. The noise of the whip and the noise of the rattling wheels of galloping horses of clattering chariots. 
Horsemen charge with bright sword and glittering spear. There is a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses because of the multitude of harlotries of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. Now this is Joah's contemporary, Nahum. But Nahum didn't have to get up and go to say this to Nineveh. He just spoke the words that God told him to speak. But to Jonah, you have to get up and you have to go. Here's what is in your notes. Here's something I want you to know. For the nationalistic, patriotic Jew, they had a, what they would call a holy hatred. A holy hatred for Assyria. So this was against every fiber of his being. And we do not have anything to compare that to in our history here in the United States. We don't. I mean, we've had our racial difficulties. We've had, but nothing like this. Not, not, not Nazi Germany. Not Japan in World War II. Nothing like this. So it's hard for us to really grasp the intensity of what's going on. This book is largely about holy hatred. About Israel's hatred for Syria. About Jonah's hatred for Assyria. You see, Jonah had lost friends and maybe even family members to this. And it's also a story about a love-hate relationship that Jonah has with God. Especially God calling him to do something that he doesn't really want to do. Now listen, you need to understand this. If Jonah was convinced that God was calling him to go to Nineveh and to speak to Assyria and tell them about their destruction that they were going to burn in hell, he'd have caught first, first train. He would have been thrilled to go and pronounce judgment and destruction. But he didn't go. I mean, we know that because most of us have at least know the story if we haven't read the book. God wanted him to do something And he had reservations. The first reservation he had was this. He did not want to defile himself by even getting some Assyrian dirt on the bottom of his shoes. I mean, any good Jew would not want to tread on the ground that made up Assyria. But that wasn't the biggest reason he was reluctant to go. Jonah knew the God he served. He knew that he was a God of judgment. He knew he was a God of wrath. He had the history of the Jewish people to see what God could do to the enemies of Israel. But there's something else that Jonah knew about God. He knew that God had a heart for his creation. He knew God had a heart to forgive people if they truly repented. 
And here's what Jonah knew. If he was to go to Nineveh and preach about the coming destruction and what God was going to do to that vile and horrible nation, and if some of the people in Nineveh chose to repent and seek God's forgiveness, that God in His grace and mercy would eradicate their sins, and Jonah would prefer to see them burn in hell. That's kind of harsh, preacher. Yeah, but some of us live there. Some of us have been hurt by people. Sometimes people close to us. Family members or friends or people we work with. Hurt deeply. Some have had spouses walk out on them. Some have had people they trusted steal from them. And don't tell me that it doesn't enter your mind that you'd rather see them fry than be forgiven. If you've had somebody suddenly taken from you because of violence, the violence of someone else, and someone you love is suddenly gone, and you know who to blame, how quickly are you to pray for their forgiveness? How easy does it come to you to release them from the debt that they owe to you? Don't be too hard on Jonah. Because Jonah lives right here. He lives right here in our hearts. And Jonah knew <clears throat> that if he was to arrive and rise and go to Nineveh and preach anything that looked like grace or mercy, that Nineveh might turn, and Nineveh might repent. And if they turned and if they repented, he knew God would forgive. He was most reluctant because he knew the God that he served. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. God was aware of what was going on. Is reminiscent of, of the cries of the children of Israel in Egypt. When God says, their, their, their cries have come up to me, and I've heard this, and now Moses, I'm sending you. But the cries that had gone up to God was those that had been slain, and those had been mistreated, and those who had loved loved ones and were lost. The horrors of Nineveh had come up to God. Look at verse 3. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He got up to run. He got up to run. Why did he run? Most of us think about when we run, we're afraid. So why did, why did, did Noah run? Well, well, maybe he was afraid of the Assyrians. No. No, if he had any confidence in the Lord God at all, he knew if he's going there as the prophet of God, he is absolutely safe until God called him home. He wasn't afraid of the Assyrians. Maybe he was, felt inadequate for the task. 
No. All Jonah had to go, to go do is go and speak. Anybody could do that. The destruction of Nineveh didn't rest on him. It rested on God. Maybe he was afraid of God. No. <laughs> if he was afraid of God, he'd headed towards Nineveh. If he was afraid of God, he would have been right out there doing what God required. Now, the reason that he, he went in the opposite direction of where God was calling him was because he knew the God he served. And he would rather die. He would rather leave his family than to do anything that might keep those people from being damned. Because that's what they deserved. That's what they deserved. And in his justice... That's what should happen. That's what should happen. Well, Brother Fred, do you think he really was, thought he could run from the presence of God? Well, no, it wasn't so much from God's presence. Jonah would have known Psalm 139 as well as you and I do. You know, where, where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go? <clears throat> and even if I make my dead in hell, bed in hell, you're there. And Jonah knew that. <clears throat> but he could remove himself in two ways. He could remove himself, first of all, from the people of God and the place of God. If he wasn't around the people of God, and if he wasn't around the places of God, then he wouldn't feel so bad. Say, so, well, I don't understand that. Well, let me explain it to you. When you're out of fellowship with God, and you've been living a lifestyle that you know is wrong, how comfortable are you coming to church? Yeah. A lot of folks, their reticence about coming to church is they don't want to be reminded that what they're doing is wrong. And there's something wrong with their lifestyle. And so what do they do? They do the same thing Jonah did. They run. They run from church. They run from, from, from any believer. They run from anything that might remind them <clears throat> that God has a calling on their lives that they're not pursuing. So he chose to, to, to separate himself, to run from the people of God and the places of God, to where everywhere he looked, he's not reminded that God's called him to do something. He hadn't done that. And secondly, he could, he could remove himself from the arena of ministry that God had called him to. From where Jonah was located, Nineveh was east. Tarshish was west. As a matter of fact, as far west as he knew the world went, it, it was on the west side of Spain, all right? So what was it he was doing? He was getting as far away from the calling God had placed on his life as he possibly could. I'll just go in the absolute opposite direction. I have an acquaintance of mine who was struggling because God was calling him to a ministry. God was calling him literally to missions. And he didn't want to go. He didn't want to go. So he immersed himself in all manner of sin and ugliness and debauchery and, and such as that. Thing. If I can make myself absolutely filthy to God, he won't use me and he can't use me and he'll just, he'll, he'll have to give up on me. Well, guess what? That don't work with God. 
That don't work with God. He knows that now and he's very happy in his missions that he's involved with. You see, here's something I want you to know. And you're going to hear this a lot between now and the end of the sermon. You can run, but you can't hide. You can run from God, but you can't hide from God. And listen to me from personal experience. The harder you run from him, bam, the harder you're going to run into him. Because he's never going to get out of your way. He's never going to get out of your heart. He's never going to release the calling that he's put on your life. You can run, but you can't hide. And the harder you run from him, (laughs) the harder you're going to run into him. And I got the scars to prove it. (laughs) And many others around you can tell you the very same thing. Let's keep reading. But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Not so much from the Lord's presence itself, but from the people of God and the places of God and the things that reminded him of God. But... The Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So that the ship was about to be broken up. Here's here's the next thing you see. God literally, it says he sent. But the word, so much of of Hebrew are picture words. And and a literal translation is he, he hurled a great storm upon him. A hurler, a fastball pitcher in baseball is referred to as a hurler. And it means to throw with reckless abandon, to throw with almost violence to get the speed you need. God hurled a class 10 typhoon after his reluctant and disobedient prophet. How do I know it was that bad? Well, let's read just a little further. And it says right here, Then the mariners were afraid. That tells you right there. <laughs> you know, when, when, the sea, when the boat is tossing and tossing and turning, and, and you look to the captain, and the captain's just right there steering away. You say, well, okay, it's not bothering him, so it shouldn't bother me. But if the captain is pulling his hair and screaming, <laughs> it's time to get on the life jackets, folks. And the seasoned sailors, the mariners themselves, were upset with the violence of this storm. I mean, they were rugged, they were tried, and they were true, they were veterans, and yet they were scared. Look what they said. And every man cried out to his God. So whoever they were from, they knew that this was not just a storm. This was not just a zephyr. This had a supernatural feel to it. That God was releasing his wrath. As each one of them went to his own God and began to pray. Look what else they did. And they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. Well, there were two reasons for throwing it overboard. Yes, to lighten the load and to give them better ballast. But also, many of them worshipped the sea god. And so it was giving a sacrifice to the sea god, 
But they, had, they lightened the ship. They got rid of, of, of all of the cargo that they possibly could. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise and call to your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. I find this almost comical. When the captain, the most seasoned sailor of them all, knows that there needs to be a prayer meeting, and the prophet of God, who should have already been handling this on his knees, is sleeping. And yet, have you found yet that disobedience from God robs you? It robs you of your spiritual sensitivity. It robs you of your willingness to pray. It robs you of your intimacy with Him when His Word comes to you. So again, be careful not to point fingers at Jonah without pointing one right back home here. Let's read on. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. Well, now, this, this was a common way to appeal to the gods to, to find out what their, their direction was. So don't, don't read too much into it, but that's, that's what they did. And so the, the cast, they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, please, tell us, for whose cause is the trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? Where is your country? Of what people are you? I mean, they were interrogating him. Because the lot had fell to him, it was obviously his fault what was going on. What have you done to offend your God? That's not a bad question, by the way. If I'd done anything to offend my God, then maybe the situation I find myself in today, with all of the troubles, with all of the concerns, with all of the worries, with all of the heartaches, is there maybe a connection to me living in absolute disobedience before God? Not a bad question to ask. So he said, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. When you see uh, L-O-R-D, all in capital letters, that's the holy name of God. That's the I am that God gave to Moses in, in the, at the burning bush. The Lord God of, the, of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Uh, let me tell you something. If things get bad enough, even believers will give testimonies, okay? Even if they're forced. So let's see what happened. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord. He told them. And they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea is growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, well, let me stop a minute. What could Jonah have done? We, we know what he did. But have you ever wondered what he could have done? I believe with all my heart. That Jonah, if Jonah had said, 
look, this is happening because I am in willful disobedience to God. And give me a minute. I'm going to pause right in here and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to confess my sins to God. And I'm going to commit to go and do what God called me to do. And as soon as I get up, you boys, I want you to turn this boat around. I think if Jonah had done that, the sea would have grown calm, and immediately they would have been headed right back to Joppa. But that's not what he did. He knew that's what would happen. He knew if he repented, then God was going to send him to Nineveh. And he would rather die than see those he hated come to faith. Or so he thought. Let's look. And he said to the men, pick me up and throw me into the sea, that the sea will... will Uh, The sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more and more tempestuous against them. And therefore they cried out, they, the sailors, the mariners, the idolaters, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, the holy name of God, the I Am, the Yahweh. We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with his innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah, and they threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Just stop right there. You can run, but you can't hide. You can run from God, but the harder you run from Him, bam, the harder you're going to run into Him because He loves you too much to get out of your way. He loves you too much to see you live in that radical disobedience to Him. Here's a few takeaways I want you to have. Some of you are hiding from God because you're not wanting to obey Him in a matter that He has in your mind right now. Some of you are struggling because you know someone has hurt you and God wants you to release that. God wants you to accept His grace to find forgiveness in your heart and release. But maybe you're finding yourself like Jonah. You'd rather die first. You haven't grown to trust the Lord enough to know the Lord knows how to handle justice both in this life and afterlife. And you can trust Him with your hurts. Some of you are struggling because you know God is dealing with your life or something He wants you to do. He's put something on your heart that calls for your obedience. 
It calls for you to say yes to Him. And you're struggling with that. And just like Jonah, you've been running. And just like Jonah, you can run. But you can't hide. And the harder you run from Him, the harder you're going to run into Him. Because He loves you too much to leave you alone. Some of you know that God is calling you to take the next step in your spiritual life. For some of you, you, you've never embraced Christ as your Savior, and He wants you to take that next step to receive Him as the Lord of your life. And some of you are running from that. Others of you have done that. You've asked Christ to come into your heart. But now He's put it on your heart. You need to align yourself with a Bible-believing church that you can put down your roots and you can be a member there and you can be a part of what God is doing in that place. And He's put that on your heart. And the next step is to say yes. I want to be a member of Ebenezer Baptist Church. I want to be a part of what God's doing here. Some of you are. But you've been satisfied being a spectator. Watching 60% of this church do 100% of the work while you sit back and enjoy it and occasionally criticize it. And God's confronting you with that this morning. What's the next step? What can I do to help? Here I am, coach, put me in. I want to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. Some of you, I think, are even running from God's calling in your life. That He wants you to be a small group leader. He wants you to be a deacon. He wants you to maybe engage with Him in ministry. And you find yourself running and running and running in the absolute opposite direction. Hear me, you can run, but you can't hide. The harder you run from him, bam, the harder you're going to run into him. And if you feel some bruises today, maybe your nose is a little out of joint. Maybe you've just run into his chest, and it's time to do business with him. Will you bow your heads? Father God, why do we run? When we know how much you love us, when we know the price that you paid for our salvation, when we know that all you want for us is the very best, when you want us to have freedom and peace and release from pain and and joy, And yet, in our pride and in our arrogance, in our stiff-necked and unforgiving spirit, we find ourselves running from you. This morning, Lord, we want to confess to you that we've been on the run, but no more. No more, because right now we've run into you. 
found we've run into your arms. We've run into your arms. Arms that love us and embrace us. And you call us to do nothing that you don't do with us. You call us to join you in the family business. Father, right now, your people are praying. We want to say yes. We want to stop running and rest in your arms and find relief in forgiveness and freedom in following you. Let it be so, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.